You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger, Drifting Away. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. It's a few days before Thanksgiving as I'm recording this. Thanksgiving is generally my favorite holiday because it presents the most obvious opportunity of the year to cook for people. This year I'm thankful that even though Jen and I can't visit family back home, we can still cook and share food with our upstairs neighbors and get to have at least a rough approximation of a Thanksgiving. For those of you on your own this year, because of the pandemic or other reasons, hang in there. Take extra care of yourself during the holidays. Reach out to somebody. That's good advice for all of us, really. It never hurts to drop someone a line. By far the best thing to come out of doing this podcast has been the chances it's given me to make new friends and reconnect with old ones. And how about this for a smooth radio transition? I just so happen to have one of each on this episode. Let's get into it. In a little bit, we're going to talk to and hear music from Memphis musician Michael Graber, the newer friend. You might know him from the band 611, Professor Elixir's Southern Troubadours, the Bluff City Backsliders, and most recently, Grabergrass. But first, I have a conversation with my old friend going all the way back to the second grade, Charlotte Tolley. Charlotte was born and raised in the Memphis area, but currently resides in Knoxville, Tennessee, where she's the executive director of Nourish Knoxville, nourishknoxville.org, the nonprofit organization behind the Market Square Farmers Market and other cool projects. We have a great chat about the old days and her work and her budding professional relationship with former WWE champion Kane. It was a joy to catch up after a few years of not talking. Here's me and Charlotte Tolley. Charlotte, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a it's been a while. It's been a long time since I've heard your voice. As we were just saying, um, I appreciate you being here. And um, you know, we go back a long way. And I think to start, I want to I want to address the fact that I think you want to challenge Aaron Sayers for the official title <laughs> of my longest tenured friend. Is that is I, that correct? I do. I mean, I believe that longest known is perhaps the the truth but Aaron is obviously a a closer and more steadfast friend than it's not I am. a competition it, what isn't though <laughs> <laughs> um the only reason I put it that way when I was talking to him was because you know we haven't we haven't kept in touch but um the, you know the, the feelings are still there Charlotte right. and uh I I'd like to think that after this that we will keep in better touch I would I am a introverted human who is terrible at keeping in touch with people. And I very much appreciate any friend who's like, no, we're friends. I mean, I haven't talked to you in three years, but like that baseline of friendship remains. Well, I think we have a reason to have, you know, a pretty solid foundation. Um, we go back to, I mean, when did you come to Harding? I mean, did you start second at kindergarten? Grade. Oh, you yeah, started at second, second grade. Because I went to Lucy Elementary for first, first grade. Okay. And then so, so you're only what a nine year senior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have quite the longevity of some, some, they didn't get me super early. I went to yeah. a Presbyterian pre preschool. So, you know, Oh no. 
Yeah. Well, they, they, they I think there's, there, there's a purging ritual. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very much like, Oh, I'm sorry. You were just sprinkled. You are going to hell. Let's <laughs> fix that for you. <laughs> uh, do you, do you have uh, feelings about our, our school days uh, about, about Harding. Do you have strong feelings? I know we were just talking about the fact that you didn't go to our 20th uh, reunion, which I didn't go Correct, to either. Yeah. Why didn't you go? Uh, why? I mean, I think that was part of it. Like I was busy and it didn't fall on a weekend. That was, I, I work on Saturday morning. So it was actually really, it would be challenging for me to go. And I'm sort of interested, but I went to the 10 year and it was interesting um, but I'm, as, as aforementioned, I am not great at keeping in touch with people and I have a hard enough time keeping in touch with people that I really do want to keep in touch with. Like opening that up sounded stressful and yeah. So do you look, do you look back on those days fondly? Some of them. Yeah. I mean, I think I look back on the days of not having a, a job and bills and stuff fondly regardless. Um, yeah, some of it for sure. I think I look back on some of it, you know, and when you look at it later, there's a lot that makes more sense. Um, and some that when you think of it later, you think, how was this ever allowed to happen? Um, but yeah, some of it fondly. I wouldn't say that the actual school part, but obviously like friendships and going to the things we did outside of school, I look on fondly. And a part of your experience that I wanted to ask about was the fact that <laughs> I sort of think of you as sort of the, have you ever watched the show Freaks and Geeks? Only a little bit, but I'm okay. familiar. <laughs> Okay, so the main character, Lindsay, is sort of like, I mean, she's not the head cheerleader or anything, but she's sort of like the most popular girl within the sort and subset. Huh. And um, I sort of I sort of think of you that sort of way. You were um, you were kind of the popular girl amongst the theater band artistic crowd. Interesting. I... That's the most positive way I could think to say that. <laughs> okay. I'm interested in the least positive way. Um, well, you know, that it's but... like the, that you're like, you know, freaks and geeks is kind of a, har a more harsh way to say it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, but I like, I mean, that's not how I experienced my own, um, you know, college or my own, well, college too. I mean, to be fair, but um, yeah, my high school, we didn't have middle school, but whatever, junior high. Um, you know, I don't think of myself that way because I don't know, everybody is self-deprecating or that's not, yeah, that's, this is new information. This um, is new information. <laughs> yeah. So you don't remember, do I, do I need to get the list out? No, you don't. Um, but I, you know, I was like in a committed relationship, which is whatever, like whatever that means when you're 14, um, from you know a lot of that time and so i my my head was pretty wrapped 14 up in to that. what like 20 i mean yeah 20 let's see um 20 something right 20s early 20s um yeah post-college i mean we weren't solidly together for that long but off and on you know intertwined for you know 15 years so yeah <laughs> That had a lot of influence probably on, on how I saw myself during that time. Um, 
was that relationship part of the reason you moved to Knoxville? No, um, no, not at all. Um, I, Interesting. yeah, when I, I moved to Knoxville straight out of college, um, and none of none, no one in our, my close friend group did. Um, I came cause I wanted to be an architect and my dad worked for UT and we got half off tuition. So he said, you go to a state school. And I was like, I want to go to Knoxville. And so I came, um, yeah, so there were no, I can, he didn't come with me then. And so all of our mutual acquaintances came later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was right. the first. Um, I mean, I think, I don't remember when Aaron came, he may have been early Dory Turner came at the same time. She and I were like the only Harding friends, um, our freshman year. And, and originally you were going to, you were into architecture. At what point did that change? Um, I did a year and a half of architecture. Um, I still am interested in it, but you know, when you pick a life path at 17, um, you don't really know what any of that means. So I switched to uh, photojournalism and photography. Um, So yeah, it's a very demanding major and you don't get a lot of sleep and I did not like it. Did you do any work in that field or how? No. Because I mean, because obviously that's not what you do now. No, but it didn't hurt. Um, So what I do now, in case anyone cares, um, is I run a nonprofit organization and that was certainly my next question. <laughs> um, but it started because I, I started the Market Square Farmers Market in downtown Knoxville with some other volunteers and, and folks in 2004. Um, and some of that like art background and architecture background was actually really helpful in like making the layouts and like understanding spatially a little bit how you might use Market Square to put 10 by 10 tents on and promote the market and stuff so you know it doesn't it isn't related except for there's some base knowledge that was helpful well take me back a little bit before that like how did you get interested in i mean in the starting a farmer's market yeah i don't i usually say like i don't know um but i really the i guess self-deprecating answer to that is that i is a those who can't teach those who can't do teach kind of response. Um, I really kind of wanted to be a pretend farmer and I wanted to be an amazing baker and I wanted to be an amazing artist and I am amazing at none of the things. Um, I am fairly good at organizing stuff. So I just wanted people to bring me delicious things that they were passionate about. And so I made them a place to bring me stuff. Um, and I've just been, I, I lived in London um, in a work abroad program after college for a bit. And I really loved going to the public markets there and the farmer's markets there and the, especially producer only. Um, so when I came back to Knoxville, because just really for lack of any place better to go, um, like my, the downtown area was pretty, you know, empty and it was pre-revitalization. So, and I love that it's part of where the architecture part comes in. I really wanted to do like historic preservation or or something like that. Um, And so I wanted downtown Knoxville to be a place that I wanted to live. And I wanted a place for there to be 
for artists and growers and producers to sell stuff and just started doing it. And here we are. Yeah. Well, so uh, the market's been a huge success. I've actually been to it a few times on my visits here and there and always enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, but I know that's not all you do. You've, you've started this organization, Nourish Knoxville, correct? Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. nourishknoxville.org. Um, yeah. And you ha- you do other projects, correct? Yeah. So we you know we started the farmers market, and it was under a downtown development organization. So if you are a person who comes or lives in Knoxville, um, it is successful. Basically, you know downtown has been revitalized. It's a great little town, um, and so it was pretty clear that there were a lot of challenges facing, ag- you know, anyone in the agriculture sector. Um, that really didn't belong under a downtown development organization. And we didn't feel like being tied to downtown Knoxville was the right place for our organization as it grew. So we started a separate nonprofit called Nourish Knoxville um, in 2013. And the first things we did were start a winter farmer's market. So now we operate year round um, close to downtown, but just outside of it and the East Tennessee Local Food Guide. So now we produce a print publication that has farmers, producers, wineries, U-picks, all that kind of stuff um, for the public and produce that annually. It's digital and print. Um, And then we've really grown to do a lot more incentive-based programs. Um, we accept, we were the first farmer's market in the state of Tennessee to accept SNAP or EBT, which is now that what it's, food stamps are called now um, right. through a script-based system. So we accept SNAP, we do SNAP doubling. So any SNAP customers get up to $20 per day in fresh fruits and vegetables. We do a kids program where kids get incentive bucks and an activity. Um, and then in response to the pandemic, we started like a perishables recovery program, which has yet to be named because we didn't think we'd be doing it for a full year, but looks like we will be. We'll be buying and donating products for a little while longer. I was I was going to ask how the pandemic has affected, you know, your programming. And I mean, I see that, you know, it's given you the opportunity to do some outreach, but are there things you've had to cancel, cancel or reschedule because of it? Oh, yeah. Um, we were lucky. We have an annual fundraiser that is in fe- either late February or the March. So our big fundraiser was the end of February. Um, and two weeks later, we were shut down. Um, we went into stay at home or here it was called safer at home. Um, and we were operating our winter market and the church we were in closed. So we moved outdoors. Luckily it was March and not January. So, um, went to essentials only. We were allowed to continue operating as an essential business, which also meant we didn't have craft vendors anymore, but um, we operated, spread everybody 10 feet apart, you know, all of that. Um, Market Square, you know, and that's our our bread and butter. Like it's also where a lot of our funding comes from, our booth fees and merchandise and all of the stuff, sponsorships that are associated with having a really large farmer's market. Um, We're still not back um, they had closed market square to all events. And so we're operating in a totally different location with about half as many vendors. Um, 
and it's a huge hit to our our farmers and producers and we had to kick all our craft vendors out which was awful um and we're able to start accepting them back now that it's the holiday season and we have less growers there but yeah we canceled our summer fundraiser we canceled our like friends you know our individual donor program event we had to change all of our programming the way that our farmers markets worked we had those kids activities which are usually in person but now we're like started building take-home activities and so yeah i mean basically everything we do we're doing differently and we're all working from home and yeah it's been it's been a year i mean that's not i mean everybody says that because everybody's there how do you make up for that loss of you know revenue i guess i mean do you hope to just yeah. do you get government aid do you like what do you just hope for a better next year what what is what, what, yeah, what do you do there's a little of both i mean we are lucky i mean one of the things i guess that has made me really proud is actually starting this nonprofit. um as if we had been under the downtown development organization and just doing what we were doing we i don't know that we would be able to function but because we are this 501c3 that focuses on helping producers um, and supporting small businesses along with the health outcomes. So, you know, those fresh fruit and vegetable programs, A, we were lucky that we have a three-year grant for a lot of those incentive-based programs that pays for staff time. So we're able to continue those because the amount of SNAP redemption and that double up food bucks, that doubling SNAP is something like double over this time last year. You know, a lot more people need to use it. And then, we, yeah, there are some, you know, agriculturally based um, grants that we've gone for. Um, so a lot of it is grant and there is a lot of pandemic response money. So we really went after that, like immediate emergency response, like food and nutrition money um, to also help our farmers. You know, when restaurants closed in March, we had a farmer who was like, yeah, my sales immediately 80% gone and I have all these eggs and I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Like I can donate them now, but I can't keep feeding chickens and buying egg cartons. Um, so we got some grant funding, primarily foundation and local funding um, to purchase perishables from farmers and donate them to some partner organizations that we work with um, to get them fresh food. Because at the same time, like second harvest and the food banks were going to all emergency boxes as their demand was going up. And so people were getting a lot of shelf stable food, but really nothing like fresh or healthy much. Um, they were getting those staples. And so we can fill in and help people actually eat fruits and vegetables. So yeah, it's all of it. <laughs> we ask for all the money from all the places, um, but the fundraisers are a hit and we don't know how long that kind of, assistance is going to be available as we go into 2021. Um, and when we probably can't operate our markets as we would still, but we're doing okay. Um, yeah, we're going to make it through. I'm confident of that. I certainly hope so. And I hope that you get, you know, whatever funding you're, you're still trying to get, uh, but I'm, I'm really just overwhelmed listening to that at how you're able to keep all of those moving pieces going. I mean, that, that, I mean, that sounded, that sounds, it's really quite impressive. All of the moving pieces and contingencies and everything else that you just, you know, described. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. I mean, and our staff is exhausted and cause it's the same as everyone else, right? Like 
everyone's working from home. Um, there are six of us total. One is a AmeriCorps member and then five staff. Um, so, you know, we've got a really good team and everybody takes the pandemic seriously. So is also really respectful of everyone else. And we have like a whole Google calendar for just office time. So people can schedule when no one's there at the same time. Um, you know, communication is difficult because also half of our staff has really young children who are also at home. Um, so people are working at really weird hours and, you know, everything's changing all the time, but so far we've been able to stay safe. And, you know, when we are working in person, it is outdoors and everyone's masked. And, you know, we also operate a public space, which means we are requiring masks, even though it's outdoors and people have opinions. Um, oh, I, I bet in East Tennessee <laughs> that the opinions are not quite as enlightened as I'm generally running into here in Chicago. Uh, are you aware of who our uh, county mayor is? I am indeed. I'm, yeah. I'm actually quite a fan of his. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the Brothers of Destruction are, you know, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite tag teams for sure. Uh, I was on a call with an organization we work with that's really similar to ours in Asheville. And North Carolina is doing a pretty good job, um, better than Tennessee. And I was like, well, our, our mayor is Kane. And he was like, I'm sorry. And he just laughed <laughs> for like two solid minutes. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, our mayor is a libertarian re- professional wrestler who is very anti anything and there's a lot of like hoax related and you know freedoms or whatever and you're just like okay but you know and that's true and you you know what the worst of it is is that he burned his brother alive i'm sorry what (laughs) sorry that's that's wrestling lore kane burned his brother alive in wrestling (laughs) oh that's like his backstory or whatever that's part of it. Yeah, no, okay. no. Or maybe he burned his parent. No, he burned their parents alive. I'm sorry. Okay. That's well, <laughs> he's, he was celebrating his freedom of choice in that. Um, yeah. I mean, he's got, there are like a lot of good things that he's done, but um, yeah. Once do you, mi- do you mix it up with Kane? No, I, I mean, I think we've met, but um, and we've actually, you think? yeah, I think we've met. Um, and I like, think you would remember. I, well, he's been at events. So, you know, also in a way he's seven feet tall. He is. A, he's giant. We've been in the same place. I just don't know if he knows who I am. And to be fair, like they've been really great to work with um, as a farmer's market because they've we've, we've actually operate a, a farmer's market um, at a county owned park. And their administration is very supportive of of farmers. And that is one place that, you know, I don't know. It's one reason I really like working in agriculture. I mean, there's a very wide variety of opinions um, and backgrounds, which is great. Oh, I can imagine. But sometimes challenging. But like in the way way that there's just not much to hate about it. Like, okay, so you're a libertarian. You want people to grow, be able to grow their own food. Awesome. So you believe that, you know, the government, your family should be able to make its own choices for their food or you should eat healthy or you should be vegan and go to sweat lodges. Like all of those things are represented. Like everyone should eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. Everyone should buy local. You may choose to buy from the ones that, you know, more align with your values, like by buying conventional versus buying organic, but it's really, there's just not much to hate about it. Um, so I feel like, you know, the, that's one thing that's, that's sad about the pandemic in a way is I feel like, we've had 
there are so many things that people get along on and so many places where we can agree on like, yeah, people should be able to eat well, you know, um, and this is a way to do it. Like no one hates a farmer's market really. Um, and then now it's like, not even Kane, not even Kane. No, he loves it. Like he's very supportive of that and wants to support farmers and support industry and support the rural Knox Countyans that grow food. And so they're great to work with, but you know, at the same time, we also operate a market on city property and those two mayors aren't really getting along super great right now on what they think should be done. Um, and so we, we required masks at the county park and at the city location. Um, and we got pushback on both um, from customers and vendors. But, you know, the city is much more in the, yes, you should do that. Um, the county was more like, you can do whatever you want for your business. Um, I have to ask, has Kane publicly spoken out against masks? Yes. Kane has. Yes. <laughs> That is just so rich with irony. It is. There are many memes. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, Can you tell, I'm sorry that I'm so excited to talk no, about that. That's okay. I mean, I also like, of course, want to maintain a good relationship with Knox County government. Um, so yeah, yeah. You're not continue to have a farmer's market there. Um, you're not calling him out to the ring this Sunday. No, I am not. Um, but yeah, it is, it is very entertaining. Um, yeah, he's, there's here, um, there's the Knox County Board of Health, which has given authority over, um, Knox Countyans health response, um, as opposed to most of the other counties across Tennessee, which are under this governor's mandate. And so we have, you know, a libertarian county mayor and a Democrat for a city mayor, and they do not agree. Um, but the health department is under not under the county and Kane is often referred to just as Kane by people here. Um, and he, that's, that's great. Yeah. He, um, he'll play it up sometimes, um, when he does like public yeah, I, things. I yeah. saw him choke slam somebody at one of his like mayor talks. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That made I mean, the, that made the rounds on the wrestling websites that yes. I look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, he is a big man. Like, He is a large person. Um, Yeah. And he's come out to like ring the opening bell at the new harvest farmers market, which, you know, is great. And he's super supportive, but yeah, it's been um, contentious. He's on the board of health. um, And he's usually, I want two things. One, I want you to get a picture of yourself with Kane at some point and send it to me. (laughs) I'll try. And, and also, you know, if you want to, if you want to get him to sign something for me, that's cool too. Okay. Um, I will. You're a fan. That's what you're saying. Yes. I, 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 I watch a lot of wrestling. It's, okay. you know, there's not much else to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not, is he currently wrestling sometimes? I can't remember. Yeah, he, he comes out every once in a while. They, they, they dig him up. No pun intended. Right. Um, you know, every once in a while, but he'll probably be at the survivor series uh, coming up because the undertaker is retiring. So mm. they'll, they'll bring him back for that. Probably. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't fact check you in in real time on this. I have no idea. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. Uh, well, Charlotte, I think um, I think we've done pretty well here. Um, before we close, though, I do want to say something from the heart. Like when I when I was in Knoxville, um, when I lived there for my two ill fated stints, 
Um, you are, you're a really good friend to me, both of those, both of those times. So I do want to say sincerely, thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad that I, you are, you are good. good. Those are the words. Um, I just wanted to shorten that. Yeah. Well, good. I never, you know, you never know how your actions are perceived by others until later as evidenced by much of our pre-recording talk. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I wish that you all still lived in Knoxville. It's a lovely place, but I'm sure Chicago is also it's, it's great. Not, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I look forward to a day where I can visit again and have it not, you know, have it not be like a friendship meltdown fest and we can actually just have fun. Yeah. I mean, I look forward to the day where any, maybe we can get together at all. And <laughs> at this point, so uh, you, you'd take the friendship meltdown fest at this yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, yes, I take the, the mel- it would be much more entertaining than just hanging out at the house with my boyfriend all the time. Eh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> thank you, Charlotte. Yes. Thank you. Before we get to Michael Graber, I need to ask you to check out patreon.com slash JD Rieger. That's P A T R E O N.com slash JD Rieger and become a supporter of me and back to the light. Subscribers to the page get ad-free versions of this show, exclusive music content, and more. Also, if you're looking for other ways to show support, you can subscribe to the podcast, like or share us on social media, or simply send a link to the show to someone who might like to listen to it. Everything helps. Thanks in advance. And now, here's the ad. Gotta hell you need in this town. You're so insane, oh you're so insane. Any fool can see love's got you to rain. You're so in love, oh you're so in love. The how and when sounds like turtle blue. Oh, there's no turning back to a life that you know. Love is the path into Kind of hell you need in this town.
Welcome back. You've just heard Drifting Away, the lead track off the new Grabergrass album, Late Bloom. That's Grabergrass, G-R-A-B-E-R-G-R-Y-A-S-S. You can find them on Spotify and all digital outlets as well as Facebook. So without further ado, here's me and Michael Graber. Michael, thanks for joining me. Thank you, JD. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you. Um, because I know, I mean, I know we know each other a little bit, but we also have a very, very good mutual friend and Joey Pegram. And as you were just telling me right before we started recording, you guys played in a couple of uh, pretty noteworthy Memphis bands together. Yeah. So I, my relationship with Joey goes back to when I was 18. And then we started the neo psychedelic band 611. And um, we were the first people to record on Shangri-La Records before a band called Bud that became the Grifters. Um, And we put out an EP. We were actually going to put out a whole LP, but we ran out of money. We bought Whippets with it and had a big party. Um, Instead, (laughs) we'd saved up from so many gigs, too. But um, and then later, for more than a decade, we were in Professor Elixir's Southern Troubadours. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've got a few of you. You had a few uh, singles on. Was it Loverly? The- Loverly Records. Yeah, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I have a few, I have several of those. A, a few of which I inherited from Joey when he moved to Indonesia, or I guess now China. Right. Yeah. And then also, um, Bob Holmes. I know a dear friend of yours was a mentor and just always such a kind, sweet, supportive soul to me when I was growing up. He knew my brother who's 10 years older than I, who was around at the early days at the well and the antenna. And then when I started coming around, um, Bob was always there. You know, he's the kind of person just always in your corner. You know, you look, you see him smiling, you know, he's looking after you, um, always encouraging, even at bad gigs. So I have only fond memories of Bob. Yeah, actually, I had it on my list to ask you about what your relationship with with him was like. When was when was the last time you saw him or hung out with him? Uh, it, it had been a while, probably late nineties. Ooh, yeah, that's been a while. Yeah, yeah, but what back late eighties, early nineties? I knew Bob and Milford. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So did you did you see any of any of his shows like in the Bing Hamptons? Were you at any of those gigs? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure was. Yeah, those, those were, some... were yeah, like, those were a lot of fun. <laughs> for for sure, for sure. Well, uh, the main reason I've got you here um, is to talk about your new band, uh, Grabergrass. I mean, there's a Y in there that you don't pronounce the Y, or do you? Yes, well, that's a great question. So it's spelled G R Y A S S, and th- there's a reason. There are several reasons for that. One, I just didn't want to be in a run of the mill bluegrass band that plays Fox on the Run and Rocky Top and even, you know, some of the other standards, Foggy Mountain Breakdown, wanted to be all original. And with that, the birds were always a great influence on me. So I wanted to take that spelling um, and uh, put the Y in there. And just also, it's just kind of a head scratcher. How do you pronounce? What is this? You know, it's a, so I wanted to locate it in the tradition, in a tradition, but not have it sit, I guess, comfortably there. Right, be in an argument with the tradition. Well, that's cool. Um, how how long how long have you been doing this band? So that band is about five years old. 
I know I, I saw you've got a few or at least a couple albums on Spotify. I listened to the new one twice, actually, earlier today, prepping for this late bloom and, and really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. So we have a few singles and that first album, our first album only, and the singles are off the album. But when we recorded that album, we actually we recorded 24 original songs in two days, two 12 hour days at oh, Royal wow. Studios. Um, and the musicians hadn't heard most of the songs. So we would learn them and then many times get them in the first take and had very minimal overdubs. Maybe some of the players who would also sing harmony would add a, a layer of harmony vocals, but no instrumental overdubs at all. Um, and that's, you're talking about the set, but is that both records? Yes, or is that so the new both one? records were recorded in those two days. Oh, okay. Wow. And wow. One's, well, yeah, one's forthcoming. And so maybe take a minute and just tell you a little bit about the records and the musicians and all, then we can go wherever you want. Oh, please, please. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, that's what we're here for. Right. So I've been a, you know, a Memphis bar musician my whole life, even in high school and, um, play still in the bluff city backsliders. We're in our 22nd year and just put out a new record in that band also work a little bit as a session musician. I played on the Grifters, whom I've mentioned, as well as on Floyd Vance's From Memphis album, former backslider that now runs Phillips Studio, Matt Ross Spang, got me involved in that session. I played mandolin and 12-string there. Um, and then you I, know, had, I actually yeah. had it on my list to ask you um, about the backsliders as well, because I don't, I don't know if you remember a gig that we played together in the late 90s at the gibson lounge oh my god i do remember that yeah yeah that was yeah fun. yeah yeah that yeah, was yeah, a, yeah that was i think that was probably the first time that we met properly if i'm thinking about it i um, think you're right yeah that because was a cool I, venue for a minute yeah it was it was really happening for a second um but yeah i i knew jason freeman for a while previously because he had been on a makeshift compilation and we had played a couple of makeshift shows together but yeah i think i think that would have been the first time i would have met you and I did not recall that. I remember seeing you and being a little awestruck, I guess, playing with Joey at Shangri-La and you were doing Paul McCartney's coming up like a flower. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was I'd never heard anyone play that live. It's one of my favorite McCartney songs. And yeah, really tear. And then I saw you later at Murphy's. And you were the first person I've ever seen live to be had a pedal that could do all the reverse um, delay. And that just blew my mind. Hmm. I think it's just an analog delay pedal that I have. But yeah. Really? I guess you were just playing backward scales, huh? <laughs> I guess. Or... Yeah, yeah. So this record, um, it, it really was never planned. And I had just turned 50. And um, I started thinking about writing. So I've always had songs. And I've, as a writer, I've published several books. And... Um, I'd let music just be an expression of playing other people's songs. So the backsliders are almost like a po pogues of um, jug band music. You know, we take it, we torque it up, we put, we plug in, and we kind of put some swing and rhythm to it. I um, mean, we play songs from the 20s to the 50s. Um, and we've, we started writing a few songs, but there was something itching in me to get out. And then suddenly the pandemic hit. And, um, between that itch, I was like, if I don't get these songs out and record them, they're going to die with me. Not that anyone's going to listen to them, but still you want to get that stuff out of your head. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, 
I noticed that so many of my full-time working musician friends and peers were really in dire straits. Um, Amy LeVere and Will were stuck on tour and their gigs were being canceled. They had no gas money. Other people were saying they couldn't get access to emergency funds. They're going to be thrown out on the street. So I said, what can I do? And I started a series on Facebook called Microdose where I would play two originals and one cover that I've never played out. And then people would donate and they would be a beneficiary or recipient each time. Um, and after four times, I ran out of original songs. I had eight songs right, that, that I remembered from way back when. And so I quickly had to get back into songwriting mode. Um, just to keep up the weekly production schedule so I could help my friends. And I think it was around week 22 when I realized I had 40-something songs. And uh, just, wow, this is really interesting. They keep coming. The, the forms keep getting varied. So I got about 16 of my musician friends, probably about eight of whom play in the collective known as Graber Grass, some people in the backsliders, some people from Professor Elixirs and others. Um, and we recorded Late Bloom, which um, is a little closer to traditional new grass, if you will. It has some expanded structures, but it all features original songs. But then the second LP that will be do, re, um, released in the late spring is called Spaceman's Wonder Box. And that one gets much more experimental and expansive. We've got uh, a lot more harmonium and bells and bazooki and odd. And um, Clint Wagner brought a homemade Urhu, which um, Boo Mitchell ended up calling a Gordello. Uh, that he plays on one of the tracks. And so it's sonically, it's a lot more adventurous. And when, when is that going to be coming out? That's going to come out in April. Okay. And that's the, uh, one of the songs that we're going to play in the show is one of the songs from those sessions that are coming out then, right? That's right. So let me, why don't I go ahead and talk about that song? And, sure. um, so one reason that I had to give up songwriting for so long, I guess it was, you can say it's an excuse, but for me it was valid. And one reason I fell in love with all this music is that I had two daughters when I was, I had one when I was 21 and one when I was 24. And so then playing out with Professor Elixir and then the Backsliders and some other bands was really all I could manage while having a family and raising them. And that's because both of them have cystic fibrosis. And when they were young, especially, they were hospitalized regularly. We didn't know if they were going to live. By all projections back then, they should be dead now. Um, and we had so much physical therapy type exercises and care for them that I was just consumed. Um, and there was a medical breakthrough around last Thanksgiving, and there was a drug that came out called Trikafta that's actually a genetic drug that works at the protein level. And so they went through this great purge, and they could never sweat before, but they broke out sweating as if they were in a sauna. And my daughter, Rowan, came to me in February, where we were still playing out, and said, you know, I've always wanted to sing, but I've never been able to sing without coughing ever in my life. And she got up and did a couple of uh, 
a lead belly song and a Carter family song. And I was just crying knowing that. So then I wrote a song for her to sing on the record. And I told the musicians that story of her never being able to sing and her just having this voice that was caged for so long. And she was never able to express it until really that first gig. And then the second time she sang was in the studio with us. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, listening to it, you would not guess that she is new to singing or performing or anything like that. Thank you. Yeah, I was very proud of her. And it was a it was a big moment. She really enjoyed being around all those fine musicians. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll 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 definitely play that after the interview. And um, do you do you want to play something live on the call here? Sure, I'd be happy to play something. So we've been fortunate. We've um, had the album reviewed several times and um, had several singles premiered in different publications. And this was the first single, and it's called The Devil's Got Your Name. So um, can you hear my guitar, or should I try it without the headphones? I can hear your guitar. Okay. All right. Well, I haven't been in this bar since you left me. Now I'm coming all alone in blue. From across the bar, devil's staring at me. His red eyes burn in that sunshine. He said, I'm so lonesome, breaking inside. Need some beer to see me through. And the devil's got your name Tattooed on his arm In the same damn place it's mine Oh, and I soon made friends with the devil He said you left him like you left me he said he's seen my picture on top of that color TV. That you stole from me. Just then you come walking through the door. Divorce lawyer in your home. And the devil says to me, Hey, there's the folks who stole my family's farm. I'm so lonesome, breaking inside. Need some beer to see me through. And the devil's got your name tattooed on his arm in the same damn place as mine. And the devil's got your name tattooed on his arm in the same damn place as mine. 
Awesome. Thank you. Devil's got your name. So that one, um, I don't know how or why. And, you know, you take praise where you can get it and you don't believe the PR, but uh, Glide Magazine featured that one and said that it could have been a lost track from Working Man's Dead or the Basement Tapes. So uh, I'll certainly take it. But um, but, sure. uh, But what I was thinking is, you know, there's that old line from Sartre, the philosopher who said, hell is when other pe- hell is other people and then i heard woody allen say well actually hell is when everybody you know is in the same room and so i thought if you could make that into a bar room it would make a really good barroom melodrama <laughs> um something i i mean i think this is maybe an obvious question but um looking through you know your career and the bands you've been in professor elixir bluff city backsliders graver grass I mean, the running theme, even if it's different kinds of music, is that um, it's generally older music. Um, Why do you think it is that you're so interested in older styles of music? That's a great question. And um, I get so obsessed, and it's I, I really very much believe in the muses in the Greek sense. And I was listening to, I was buying up as many 78s and, uh, and um, compilations as I could in the 80s and 90s of music from the 20s and 30s, really what Creole Marcus called weird old America. And I really was completely tuned out of popular culture. I did not have a TV and I did not listen to popular radio. I remember walking into some, you know, some kind of store or restaurant and I would hear something like blackout sun and think, oh my God, how are people putting that in their head? Why is that guy trying to sing like that? You know, that whole, I I heard it on one of your podcasts, you and Alex Green talking about the affected Eddie Vedder voice. I just didn't get that. And I could not respond to that. Whatever culture was trying to express was not speaking to my soul. And so I had to go to that deeper well. And, and you know, I don't know. Um, and in grade school, I played in heavy metal bands. And then early high school, I played in punk bands. And then I got into sort of jammy, Grateful Dead type bands. That's 611 and other expressions and listening to a lot of music from the 60s. But it was almost all kind of an archaeological dig to find the roots of that music. Right. So the roots of psychedelic music, especially San Francisco psychedelic music, was the folk revival. And that's where Crosby and Garcia and Paul Kantner, that's what they grew up on. Right. Uh, the Weavers. and other, But then if you scratch that surface, you go back to the Woody Guthrie's and Cisco Houston's. But if you scratch that, you get to the real stuff. Right. Um, the blues artist, the old time family artist and others on the 78s. And it was something about the infamous. They they sang because they had to and they were doing as best as they could with the instruments. So it took away all the veneer of showmanship and professionalism. It just seemed so authentic in a really inauthentic era. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Um, well, I think that um, at this point, if is there 
a place that you want to refer people to check out your music? I mean, obviously, is there like a Bandcamp page or something like that you want to tell people to look at? So, so thank you very much. So, uh, Graybergas is, um, we do not have a Bandcamp page. We have a SoundCloud, but I think more importantly, we're on about 20 streaming media services. Um, sure. So you can I was listening to. Yeah. I was listening to you on Spotify. And I, I know it's there for sure. Right. So you can find it there. Um, our Facebook page is the most active portal for the band right now. And then we are also, we've played a few live cast release parties, but even those seem a little scarier with the rise in the virus. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of rethinking that. But um, there were two really decent gigs that included some new songs if any was interested one from south main sounds and one from b-side that are both on youtube and on facebook if anyone's interested yeah i watched the one on uh the b-side one i think and that yeah that was really good thank you yeah we had a lot of fun well thanks for joining me mike oh i'm honored to be with you yeah thank you so much the last thing we're going to listen to is it was always you a new, unreleased Grabergrass tune featuring Michael's daughter Rowan on lead vocals. Let's hear it. It was always you, you, I was looking for you.
That's the show. Thank you to my guests, Charlotte Tolly and Michael Graber. Thank you to Arthur with two H's for the opening theme. Thank you to Joey Pegram for the closing theme. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy Thanksgiving and take care, y'all. of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.